Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. What's up everyone, you're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This week we have another huge interview for you all as we talk to Ben Borshak all about Erling Haaland. Ben was lucky enough to sit down and talk to John Vick, the scout who brought Erling to Mulder. We talk about his upbringing, his career so far and the things you don't know about the Norwegian striker. Now here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. I'm your host, Mikey, and happy pre-season, everybody. 2021-22, it's kicked off, officially, sort of. Um, of course, I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, who have some shiny new boots on, ready for a long, hopefully trophy-filled season. It's Berth and Chris. How are we doing, guys? Well, it's funny you should say about new boots, because I am in the process of ordering some new ones right now. Um, oh. Yeah, I know, I know, snazzy. Um, but yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Chris, how are you doing, my friend? I'm excited to see them new boots, Beth, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give too much away now. I'm not going to give too much away. I'll tease you. If they're not brightly coloured, I'll be disappointed. I've got some Nike Magistas, and I did have my favourite boots will always be those Thierry Henry Total 90 Nike Burgundy ones. Oh, they're so nice. Honestly, they are you, nice. They you are know, nice. I think we spoke about this on a previous, like, yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> Like yeah. maybe one of the first few episodes, but I absolutely love those boots. But other than that, I'm just getting used to uh, my new iPhone. I've upgraded. It's got no home button, so I'm I'm enjoying trying to swipe go. What am I doing? I feel like I've aged forty years. There's <laughs> <laughs> like technology has advanced beyond my brain. Maybe yeah. we're just getting old. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. Where's the home button? Bring me back the audio jack. That's what we need. <laughs> I don't need the audio jack. That caused me too many problems. But um, with that, we're going to head straight into the newsroom and see what the latest is at Stamford Bridge. It may be pre-season, but we're still in the eye of the storm of the transfer gossip. You enjoyed our segment last week where we ran through a ton in the tune to some fantastic elevator music. Should we do it all again? Callum Hudson-Odoi will stay at Chelsea this summer. Tucker wants him to stay, wants to fight for his place. Chelsea don't wish to sell Hakim Ziyech this summer. Chelsea have been in talks with the agent of Wren teenager Eduardo Camavinga. Chelsea are considering Sergio Romero to replace Willy Caballero. Maurizio Sarri believes that Jorginho deserves to win that Ballon d'Or and apparently Sarri also regrets leaving Chelsea. Chelsea will bid for Declan Rice after the Euros ends. Rice is unlikely to hand in a transfer request, but is seriously considering leaving West Ham. West Brom are reportedly interested in signing Trevor Chalaba on a permanent deal. Antoine Griezmann will be offered to Chelsea as Barcelona desperately attempt to cut costs this summer. Leverkusen defender Edmund Tapsoba has started following Chelsea on Instagram. We all know that's a done deal then. Uh, it's a day after he said to Afrique Sports with Chelsea, for the moment there is nothing concrete, nothing official. Willy Cavalera has said goodbye to Chelsea after four seasons and three major honours. And finally, Olivier Giroud is most likely now heading to Milan for €2 million. Euros. Guys, it's been a news week of, of well, I think the um, Griezmann one's the most eye-opening for myself. But what caught your eye this week? Was it any of those particular ones or something else? Um, firstly, before we get into anything, uh, I think we should say that it's definitely coming home. 
Oh, God. Uh, we have to mention that at least once on this podcast. <laughs> Here we it, go. You know, it could genuinely be coming home. Um, but like last week, I'll pick out a few. Um, I think the Declan Rice thing is on the top of England. I think, for me, he's been exceptional for England. He's been a monster in that midfield. I know people are always going to moan about the price and they're going to moan about him sort of taking their favourite spot in Georgina or Kovacic. But for me, I think he adds discipline to that midfield. I think he's a fantastic read of the game. I think he's strong, powerful, he's quick over the ground as well. And I think he will make us a lot more solid at the back. I know he's been good defensively under Tuckle, but I think he'll make us even better. Um, I think the Giroud one, I think he always knew he was going to go. I think he's a very clever bit of business from Chelsea's point to, to get him to sign a new contract so we can get some money for him. Fair enough, it's not a lot, but we're still make, getting some money for him. Um, and I think Giroud deserves a move away. I think, you know, he's been a great sign for Chelsea. Scored so many incredible goals for us. Just a wonderful servant. Most underrated player the Premier League's ever seen, I think. I know it's a big shout, but I really think he's been incredible for us. Um, and I think, what other one? The Sarri one, I think, for me, well, first of all, I don't think Georgina should win the Ballon d'Or. We went through this with Kante, that I just think it should be Lewandowski or Messi should win it and not Kante or Georgina because I haven't been the best player for Chelsea, so I don't think they deserve it. Um, they've obviously been magnificent, but I just don't think they deserve it. Um, and the Sarri point of him not wanting to go, I just, fortunately for Sarri, there was just never a connection with the fans like there has been with Tuchel, with Lampard, obviously, with his connection to Chelsea, with Conte, you know, Sarri just never had that connection with Chelsea fans. So I think, yeah, he did well and won us a trophy and got us third place. But I do think that if he was to come back, I don't think it would work at all. I just think the fans would get on his back straight away. And I just don't think he's very stubborn in his tactics. And I, just don't think it would work again. I found it one season. But I, just, I just don't thing, think it'd work. With the Sarri thing, what I found odd is it was just a comment didn't add up when he said, "Oh, it's Chelsea." Then started to bring in players that would have fitted my system, like Werner, Havertz, and Mount. And I thought, well, two of those were well after you'd gone. It was like mm. that. What we we yeah, that's what I kind of didn't. Mount came in because he was brought in from the academy. Obviously, he was on loan at Derby the season prior. But the Werner and yeah, I don't. That was another season after. So it was like they didn't just bring them in after you've gone. We had a transfer ban. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I get the Jorginho thing. I've also seen actually. I was just pulling up Twitter actually just check out. Missed anything breaking? Um, Kurt Zuma looks like he'll be off this summer. That's quite interesting. I found. Mm, that is very interesting. Everton Spurs. <laughs> And Roma, all interested. Apparently, Zuma's already turned down Wolves. From a good source, it's Julian Maynard. He's a journalist for Telefoot. So, he's decent. But mm. he ain't going to Spurs. No Chelsea players are going to be sold to Spurs anytime soon. Roma, guess Mourinho. But, mm, yeah. Everton. Mm, yeah. Everton probably be realistic. But what you th- what you thinking, Chris? What What's this week been with rumours and anything? Anything standing out? Well, just picking up on the Zuma one that you've just brought up, I think that's because I seen the other day that apparently Tuchel sees James's long-term future as a right-sided centre-back. So yeah. it, sort of, it sort of makes sense that if he's going to be playing James there, Zuma's game time is going to be even more limited than it was last season. So it, moving him on does make sense. I, I think the Roma move could come off because it was Mourinho who brought him into the Chelsea first team, wasn't it? So they've already got that sort so. of link there. Um the Griezmann one's an interesting one because, like I said in the group chat to you two, it depends which Griezmann you was getting. If you're getting mm. the one from the last couple of years, 
then you'd think twice. If you get anyone from Atletico Madrid, then you'd probably take him definitely. But I just think with his wages, he's not going to go from, I think he's on like £700,000 a week or something stupid now. He's not going to go from that down to £120,000, £150,000 a week just to come to Chelsea. He, he, I don't think he'd want to leave Barcelona and they can't force him out. So I don't see I, that I one think, coming. Sorry to interrupt you, interrupt you Chris. That's all right, I think Griezmann as well. I think he's one of those players that when it's a tough game and like say when you come up against like a Burnley, it'll be one of those players that just goes missing. He's not like an yeah. Eddie Hazard who will just oh, produce a bit of magic and win us a game. I think when a team's playing well, it, it will look really good, Griezmann. But when you're looking for someone to turn to, I, I think he does just go missing. I think that's been Griezmann's problem. It's almost a bit like Pogba. You're sort of almost trying to turn to him. And when it's going well, he looks brilliant. But when it isn't, it's almost like he's not bothered by it. And I think that's Griezmann's problem. And that's what his problem has been over the years. That's what it seems, anyway. I've got to say I'm Griezmann. I just Googled his salary. Fuck. I, oh, my God. I didn't think it was that much. How much do you think he's on, by the way? That'd be like 350 Okay. Chris? 800k a week. No. <laughs> He's officially, no. according to the various, there's a couple of sources that put it out, it says he's on between, wait, well, he's roughly on 594 grand per week. That's, that is mental. Whoa. <laughs> no wonder Barcelona are in their debt. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that's in pounds too. Yes, yes it is. So, so he's actually on more than that in euros. Yeah, because I think there's a certain um, discrepancy. We've had the tax laws work over there. That is that's mental. ridiculous. Oh, that's that painful. To the, in euros, that works out at roughly 880,000. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. That's mad. That's mad. That club has been running to the ground. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why. <laughs> I mean, wow! No wonder they, wow! No wonder they want to sell him. No, he, is he? Would you take the pay cut to come to Chelsea or anywhere in the world? No, you wouldn't. You're on that much money. That's mad. Not when you consider as well. I think, I think uh, he he said a couple of weeks ago in an interview that I think he's pl- only planning on being in Europe for another year or two, and then he wants to go to the MLS. Oh, that's nice. So that's that's perfect signing. We'll pay. We'll have to pay a fee for him, and then pay him a lot of money, and then he'll still go away. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I like the taps over thing because of the fact that he followed Chelsea on Instagram and everyone lost their minds again. It's that that happens. Players follow yeah. someone followed someone on Instagram. It means nothing. It means jack shit. We did that. We did this before with Messi. Messi has followed Chelsea. He's followed Courtois. So, I mean, I follow a load of accounts and I unfollow them. It means nothing. It truly does. I don't get too hyped up about it. The comment he made as well. All he did was address a rumour. He just said, for the moment, it's nothing concrete, nothing official. Is that hinting that he wants to come? Maybe, maybe. Ah, it, it's always difficult. I mean, it could be a bit to drum up interest. Um, shame Cavalero is leaving. He's done quite well for you. I didn't think he'd been with us that long. I think Sergio Romero is a fantastic uh, option if we go with him. Yeah, I, I think agree that, with that. He's literally, I know some people going, really? It's like, yeah, he's the perfect backup. He's proven that over and over again. You know, what can you say to that other than, you know, he's a top servant. Uh, I saw something today about, I say I saw something, I tweeted it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Jules Kunde, that looks like, we apparently that's got, got some the ball going. We've uh, we've made an approach. I don't know what an important approach means. What's, I don't know what that exactly means, but he's a good player. I, I do like him. He would certainly improve our defence. 
it's then I get back the fee and everything else. We really need to be after further up the field, I think, with strikers. But yeah, the in, uh, tell you what though, an interesting one for me out of those that list that you gave. Yeah. It's it's sort of linked like Hudson Hudson is staying, but then we don't want to sell Ziyech. I kind of see that as a conflict because I don't I don't know what the plan would be with with Hudson Adoy then. If if you think towards the end of the season he was struggling to get even off the bench, and if we mm. I, I thought the only way he w- he might stay would be if if Zayek or one of the other wide players was to leave. But if, if we're going to keep both, then does it point to Tucker wanting to use him as that wing back now when, since we didn't get Akimi? Possible. Mm. That's a good shout. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I've just gone okay. through t- Taps Over's Instagram and I can't find um, anything to do with Chelsea now. I probably unfollowed us. Yeah, that's it. It's over. Deal's done. He's over. He's not coming. He just wanted to follow from Chelsea just so he could unfollow him. Is that old trick? I'll tell you what. I would. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked when players do follow, and it's just to cause like a little bit of um, chatter on the. It doesn't always. No, I don't. I'm not buying into it. I'm really not. But some people are. Yeah. Um. Anything else on all that stuff? Anything particular? Any anything news-wise other than it's coming home? Apparently. Well, I think it definitely is. I don't think that's a rumor or new. I think it definitely is. I, I mean, we'll, we'll cover our. We'll cover our predictions next week. Um, um, as far as transfers go, I mean, you know, look, it's that season where everything's a rumour. Every player under the sun gets linked to the bus. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be another rumour tomorrow and be more rumours to talk about next week. It, it's, it's one of them. It's sort of, you never really sort of take anything seriously until it's uh, reported by uh, Fabrizio Romano or, or someone who's real good. He gets stuff wrong, by the way. I'm just pointing that out. Some people seem to treat him as gospel. He's very reliable, but he has got stuff wrong in the past. Let's not just go, oh, it's confirmed, you know. I do do think that he's probably the one that everyone looks and go, okay, it's definitely nine times out of ten, he's the one that gets it right. Obviously, you're going to get some wrong, but I think he's the one that's always spot on. But, yeah, let's just wait and see what happens. It's always fun to transfer window. Let's just see what happens. European champions. Everyone wants to join us. That's true. That's very true. Chris? I think... The only thing that w- that would be concerning me now is the fact that pre-season has started for the club and the World Cup finalists apparently are going to get three weeks off after the Euros, which means they don't come back until I think it's the week of the Super Cup. By then you're sort of, what, coming towards mid-August. You're getting towards the start of the season. If we don't bring in a player in the next two weeks they're not going to get a lot of time before the season starts to sort of bed in that's that that's my only concern it's the only reason why it is a shame that we couldn't get something done early i understand why because of the targets we're going after they're not easy deals to complete but i just i i don't almost don't want it to drag on too much and then you're bringing in players for big money who have got almost no time until the season starts like i think when we bought Costa in, for example, that deal was done so early. He had a full yeah. pre-season. He hit the ground running in the pre-season friendly, scored a couple of goals, and then it sort of snowballed from there. And he had an incredible first half of his first season where he couldn't stop scoring. And I think, especially with strikers, whoever we're going to bring in, if we are going to bring anyone in, I do think that pre-season is really important. 
and we're just in danger of missing a chunk of it if we don't get a deal done soon. Yeah, I can sort of see your point. I mean, the pre-season is key. We, I mean, we saw how last season everyone, obviously, for obvious reasons, kind of lost the pre-season quite quickly. I mean, we played one game. Was it Brighton? Yeah. That was our only yeah. pre-season as well. And we made some big signings, obviously. I mean, it weren't like the season was uh, affected too much by that, let's be honest. Um, Champions League winners, so it was all right. But it's nice to kind of get that bonding and it's just being fluent in the system and getting used to everything. I guess it's beneficial now because obviously new new manager and it's well when I say new manager, it's everyone will get a pre-season under our new manager that came in obviously halfway through the season. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not apprehensive about transfers. I would like to see some actual deals go through for us. But when you look around, has anyone else done anything? No, yeah, Liverpool have, but other than that, not really. And you saw Sancho, obviously. Yeah, um, and obviously. Yeah. PSG have decided to get a nice backup goalkeeper in because, you know, why not? Yeah. And yeah. Ramos. That's, that's not a bad sign. I saw apparently that he, Arsenal made a bid for him. That's nice. Um, I, I don't know. I would have took him. He's very experienced, very good, master of the dark arts, but a lot of money and he's, I don't know, we've got we've got Thiago Silva and you think, do we need another very mature age defender? Maybe not. Um, yeah. Uh, well, obviously, since the 2020-2021 season drew to a close, we've had an interview lined up for the majority of our episodes this summer. Uh, this week is obviously no exception, and I spoke to first-time finishers Ben Bochak all about Erling Haaland. Ben is not only an incredible journalist, but he was also able to sit down and chat with John Vick, the scout who brought Erling to Mulder. So with that introduction, here is that interview. I'm joined now by Ben Bochak, uh, a writer from the incredible site First Time Finish, uh, a guy who got the exclusive inside story on Erling Haaland. So welcome to the pod, Ben. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, great to be on. Uh, I'm doing fine. How, how, how are you doing? Yeah, not, not too bad for when we're recording. It's a Monday, so not too bad for a Monday. Not too bad. Uh, I'm, as a huge fan of First Time Finish, I read your piece back in September of last year on Erling Haaland and with the continuous links between the Norwegian and Chelsea, I felt it was obviously the appropriate time to bring on someone who can give us all some more in-depth insight on the forward. Now, many listeners know he is the son of former City and best friend of Roy Keane, Al Parland. But would you give us some background on Erling growing up and how he sort of started off with, in his career? Yeah, so, so he was born in Leeds, if I'm correct, and uh, kind of followed his dad around during the early years, uh, around like three or four and then he went back to Norway into a little town called Bryn and uh, started playing there and uh, yeah that's where the story really begins uh, at Bryn. All right sorry um now obviously in your your piece you spoke to the Mulder FK scout John Vick who scouted Harlan for the club when speaking to him, how did he describe what he first saw when watching Erling Haaland? I think the first thing that stood out for him, for, for John, uh, was um, Haaland's mentality. Um, so he first went to watch him at an under-15 game and uh, he just told me his mentality, like the way he presented himself on the pitch was head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, like he, he just looked like a winner already, like, he he was going for every ball like 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 you see him now. He he was like that already, and 
at an under 15 like this was a f- their first international game everyone else was like nervous you know their legs were quaking a little bit um and um Harland was not like that he wasn't phased by the occasion at all uh he just took it by the scruff of the neck and uh yeah I think uh one particular moment I think which really impressed John was um when uh in the second half the teams were uh, getting ready to kick off and uh the ref already blew his whistle for kickoff but the Swedish goalkeeper like the opposition goalkeeper he was still playing with his hair and <laughs> Harland noticed that and they just went went for goal and scored and uh that's when John Wick was like yeah okay I, I need to I need to find out more about this guy and he spoke to Harlan's dad and then he had a, watched him a few more times at Bryn and then uh, yeah very quickly um he brought him to Mold FK yeah I mean he spent two years at Mold uh how do you think he evolved as a player and a person during his time at the club as a as a player and as a person I think uh most of it was as a person really um so you know he was 16 uh I don't think any of us were living away from home when we were 16 or not a lot of people do but he moved away it was uh all the way to the other side of the country and uh he was living completely alone and I think you you mature a lot quicker when you don't have your parents doing your washing up and uh you're doing the dishes for you and uh, washing your clothes. And uh, at the same time, he was going through a big, big physical changes as well. Um, he had a massive growth spurt. And uh, I think he came to the perfect club in terms of development because Maud FK noticed, uh, you know, that like how fragile he was as, uh, as his body was growing. I think he grew like 10 centimeters in a year, which is uh, crazy. And uh, Maud FK were very careful to make sure he was going to the gym, building up muscle and uh, making sure that his body developed in the best way possible. And uh, for six months, actually, they didn't actually, even though Harlem didn't have any injuries or anything like that, they didn't actually let him play football. They just sent, kept sending him to the gym. They kept making sure he ate the right stuff and uh, helped build him the incredible physique that he has now. Um, and I, I think in, in those two years, he learned a lot from that. And then obviously working alongside a Norwegian legend, probably the best Norwegian striker that was before Haaland uh, in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Who, you know, he's, he's shown his credentials at Manchester United as well. So he's a good coach. And I think working alongside him helped, you know, Haaland's finishing and that kind of, that those areas of his game as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on quickly the FIFA under 20 World Cup uh it, wow we everyone knows where I'm going with this um it was against Honduras but you know Norway didn't qualify from their group they had Uruguay New Zealand and Honduras obviously in their group but they scored the most goals and yeah there was a 12-0 win where Haaland got nine goals uh was that was that the quality of the opposition as well as his talent or was that just purely his talent showcasing on quite a big stage for uh you know for the under 20s i mean to be fair to get to a world cup like that you still have to be f- a fairly decent team i think Honduras came through um you know some tough opposition to get to where they are so yes maybe they weren't the best quality of opposition but i think um mostly it's just harland's quality because 
you know, a, a few months after that, he was scoring hat tricks in the Champions League and uh, taking the Champions League by storm. So clearly, um, he, he was just a different class already. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an amazing. I've watched that game highlights over and over because I remember just, you just came up on a, a the Twitter feed back in uh, 2019. I'm like, oh wow, this is interesting. Whenever you see the figures, nine goals from one player. Yeah, you think okay, maybe the opposition, but you think nine goals. You you have to discount the opposition if you're scoring nine. You know that's some feat. For <laughs> I think sure. as well, most players, you know, like after they scored four or maybe five, they're satisfied and they mm. sit back, even even as a striker. But I think that that game shows Haaland's sort of uh, just eagerness to to just be the best. Like he he wants he wants to work so hard and he's he's never satisfied. Like he when he scores a goal, he wants he or, he's already thinking about scoring the next one. And I think that is probably a game that best represents what he is about, even though the quality of the opposition wasn't the greatest. Yeah, mentality is so key. Uh, you know, it was Norway's biggest under, ever win at under-20 level. It's Honduras' under-20 heaviest ever defeat. Uh, that was a new under-20 World Cup record for most goals by a single player in a match. And obviously he lifted that golden boot and he never played outside the group because obviously they didn't qualify. It's amazing. It truly, truly is. Yeah, well, he left Mould, obviously, to join Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, naturally, it didn't take him too long to get the world's eye on him if it wasn't already after that impressive display. Uh, as well as the Champions League debut, he scored a hat-trick against Genk, bagged 16 goals in 14 league games. And then six months on, the biggest of European stages, Borussia Dortmund paid 20 million euros for his services. And in Germany, he didn't slow down. Uh, he was yet again taken another league by storm. And in the back half of that 2019-20 campaign, he bags 13 in 15 in the league and then 27 in 28 in the most recent 2021 season. How does he keep doing this? I think it, we talked about mentality and it is, it, we keep going to have to go back to it. I think it's mentality, you know. A lot of players, when they make the step up from the Austrian league to the Bundesliga, you know, they might be a bit anxious because it is a big step up. But Haaland just isn't, isn't faced by anything. Uh, obviously, on top of that, he he works a lot. He's always in training and he, and he loves football. He's, he's got a bit of an obsessed personality and wanting to be the best. And because of that, he's always working on himself and his body. And um, yeah, I think... The, he's kind of made for the bigger leagues because of the way like his physique and the way his body is built um it, it was almost going to be inevitable after his impressive champions league performances that he was going to be successful in the bundesliga as well yeah i mean you look at his statistics before you know when you're 20 years old and obviously the big names you're gonna have the original ronaldo little messi and cristiano ronaldo and just looking it was on the article Erling Haaland had 107 games and he had 62 goals. Cristiano had 123 games, so more, and only 20 goals. Obviously, he had a different sort of position back then. Messi had 32 in 92 and the original Ronaldo. This is this is still outstanding, we're not going to lie. 98 in 104. <laughs> wow, there's a reason he's a legend. Um, do you think this, this mentality trait and his ability to just adapt so easily to a new league and just push forward was something that John Vick personally saw all the way back in the early years when he scouted him. I think so. I think he always believed in his talent. Uh, and just back to that graphic, I think 
Haaland probably added like another 20 goals uh, to that mm. to those statistics because he was still 19 yeah. when I wrote the article. So, um, yeah, I think incredible, really. Uh, but, yeah, I think he always saw it and um, uh, he was he, he believed in it uh, a lot, like that he was going to be good enough, for, for example, for the Premier League. And he was kind of recommending him to Premier League clubs. He name dropped a few to me uh, that he asked me to keep confidential. No problem. Uh, I can I, I can confirm, though, that Chelsea were not one of them. Ah. <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of... Um, he recommended them to a lot of Premier League clubs and uh, a lot of them were kind of just didn't really accept that he was he's, he's that special. Like they looked at him and they were like, oh, he's just he's just another target man. Like we're not really interested in that. Uh, so they kind of just turned an eye on him, uh, which is crazy um, considering how far he's come since then. But yeah, back then Premier League clubs, John, John Wick believed, but Premier League clubs, not so much. And now all those Premier League clubs are probably scratching their heads. I mean, one of them was very interested in him before he moved to Borussia Dortmund. So I really hope I'm not, don't, you don't have to answer in any way, shape or form. But part of me is thinking one of them has to be Arsenal. It would be so Arsenal for them to see, look at who could be in our, could have signed them 11. That 11 is such a world-beating team. And it, every year there seems to be a couple of world-class talents added to that list. It's It's quite... There's a reason it's used a lot on social media for banter. It's it's an hilarious eleven. Um, I mean, all I, all I, I'm not going to confirm. Or <laughs> all, I, all I'm saying is they did also reject Latan Ibrahimovic they and, did. Yaya, they did. and Yaya Torre as well. So, so many players are rejected yeah. and they're regretting it. Um, we'll move to the Chelsea side of this discussion now. Our co-host Chris wanted me to put forward this question about Erlen. Do you think he can adapt his game to deal against lower blocks that teams use in the Premier League? Or is he reliant on space in behind, similar to the likes we already have of Timo Werner? It's an interesting question. I think he's definitely a different profile to Werner. You know, Werner, this game is mostly just about pace. Uh, like, that is not degrading him in any way. He's all obviously... He can be a great finisher as well, despite, I think, what we saw at Chelsea last season. And he's got other qualities as well. I think he's, he's a very intelligent runner and he's got intelligent movement. But with Haaland, I think it's a completely different level because of his physicality and his physique and his ability to find space in the box, even when the box is packed. So he, I don't think he necessarily relies on running just in behind opposition defences. He's someone who... I think it's kind of tailor-made for the Premier League, really. He'll, he'll, he will wrestle with defenders and he will fight. And uh, most of the time, the defenders will come out worse because um, Haaland is just that strong. And he's someone who I think has the ability to bulldozer through low box, low blocks, really. Well, that, that we definitely need a goal scorer. And if he is the man, I mean... 150 million is the fee bouncing around. For me, we we need him badly. We know that. And if he can adapt like he has done in from the Austrian Bundesliga to the German Bundesliga, he does that in the Premier League. I think that, that, wow. the difference between him and Werner, and I'm going to go back to this again. The listeners are probably tired of it, but it's mentality. Like, okay. uh, you know, Werner kind of, for the impression that I got is he was, He's also he, he kind of looks a bit scared at times on the field. Like he was a bit 
uh, overwhelmed by the Premier League initially. Like he, he made those comments about it as well, how physical it was. But Haaland will just thrive in that. He, he relishes that physicality, and uh, he's someone who's not really, he he won't be phased at all coming into the Premier League. You know, I think that is his dream. You know, he watched his dad play in the Premier League, and I think he wants to do the same. Mm, yeah, I, I mean. The attitude and the personality side of him is certainly one to it shows why he's taken each league by storm. Um, talking that, finally, I've got to ask it. His interview style is very well unique. We know that. Do you have any thoughts? Or did I don't know if it was showing when John Vick scouted him or saw him at Moldo? I mean, probably not, but do you have any thoughts what he's behind this? Because some see it as quite funny and unique about him, but others see it as being difficult and uncomfortable. I think it's just a unique character. So uh, John told me a story about him uh, when uh, he first moved to Mold and, you know, he was 16 and I was telling you how he had to do his laundry and his uh, washing up for the first time. And John was kind of concerned about him because, you know, he was 16 and it was like, like he, he, he went up to him in training. It was like, like, are you doing your laundry? Are you doing your washing up? And then Harlan just looked at him, John said, as if he was an idiot. And Harlan was like, of course I am like like I'm not an idiot like of course I know how to do that uh, and he, he was 16 mind you and um, that kind of shows a level of just just how I can't even think of the word but it's just very not arrogant but confident and he that he just deals with people very matter-of-factly I, I think that's 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 how he does it and I think in a way, as much as he takes football seriously and he wants to become the best, he also realises that it is just a game at the end of the day. And, 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 and it comes through from his interviews because he's someone who likes to have a bit of fun with the reporters, likes to kind of uh, almost mock their seriousness for the game or the situation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Haaland's a winner and he wants to win, but I think he, he, he's a kind of a relaxed person so even when things aren't going well he's not going to be someone who's you know um hitting the ground in frustration or crying he he has that much self-confidence and believe in belief in himself that even when things aren't going his way he knows eventually he will get out of the rut and he he doesn't he doesn't feel any self-pity for himself at all yeah it's, it's actually interesting how you mentioned about how he was doing his own sort of the chores that we do on a day-to-day life you know a lot of young players kind of don't have to do that anymore but you you hear about all these ex-professionals and yeah it's a bygone era you could even say but you know Lampard would clean clean the boots when he was an apprentice you'd have the likes of Gerard doing the same when he was at Liverpool and then obviously going even further back you had Gascoigne doing the same for Keegan Beckham for Brian Robson and it maybe instills a different character in them and perhaps a determination or a maturity but I can't, Erling Haaland comes across as a very mature character for someone of his age as well. To see that maturity is quite surprising because I think, you know, a lot of the young players kind of have, they kind of do often do their own thing. But I can't imagine Erling Haaland being in trouble with the press or in trouble with the police. It doesn't seem to give off that aura. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, there was one, one occasion when he, supposedly got thrown out of a nightclub but I think that was blown out of proportion as well and it, it turned out he wasn't even thrown out of a nightclub or it was uh, he was just walking out and he was just 
he, I think he had to be removed because people were just going crazy for him in the nightclub. And uh, yeah, he doesn't like, if you compare him to some of the English players who are in the same generation, obviously they've had um, some you know, well-shared and documented uh, problems. Some, some even in the England camp, you know, caused, uh, you know, had very, showed very immature behavior. But Haaland is not about that. Um, he's, his life is football and uh, yeah, I mean, he saw the clips of him listening to the Champions League anthem on his way to training and he 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 causes uh, hat-trick balls like his woman. So uh, yeah, he's uh, definitely a funny but also immature person. Yeah. He's very yeah. dedicated to his profession. Uh... I'll end it with, is he, is he worth the 150 million? Do you think that's going to be a bargain in hindsight? If, if obviously, we do purchase him for that. Yeah, I mean, I think if if Chelsea purchase him, I can't see him going anywhere else in in the near future, at least. So you're getting at least five years of his probably peak and uh, peak powers, really. Um, yeah. and, and on top of that, like his resale value will be crazy after that because he'll still be 26 in five years so true. yeah yeah potentially yeah. if you don't if chelsea don't sell him that's 10 years of yeah. uh, erling Haaland at his very best and yeah. a decade at chelsea i just imagine what he could do and uh, when you work out the numbers on, i was just doing that 15 yeah. million a season you think that's not yeah. bad that that is not bad at all is it not really i mean it's been an absolute pleasure having yourself on so before we end it, uh, where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, just first time finish at first time finish. Um, uh, that's where you can find all our stuff. Uh, we've probably covered a, had a few inside stories on other Chelsea targets as well. So I encourage the listeners to check it out. Yeah, for sure. It's an amazing website. Uh, a big fan of it. And, you know, all the best. And I can't wait to read more articles from yourself. Thank you. All the best to you guys as well. So that was Ben Borchak. A huge thank you yet again for him taking the time out to speak to me. Uh, guys, Erling Haaland, uh, we've spoken so much about him, so much. Any thoughts or conclusions you drew from what Ben had to say really on him? Chris? I think mentality. I think yeah. he, he put a lot of emphasis on his mentality. And that is the main thing that I've noticed about Haaland. He does seem to have that sort of... It's a very Ronaldo mentality. He... He wants goals, and that's what he that's what he goes out there to do. He wants to he wants to win football matches, of course he does. But he does strike me as that sort of striker, which I think all top strikers are. That if the team wins but he didn't score, he will still be annoyed after the game. And I, I think that sort of mentality is why he will score goals for his whole career. Even more because I think Harry Kane's got a similar mentality where he just wants to score goals, and that is rare now uh, because you get a lot of centre forwards now who like to come deep and link the play, and because that's what managers ask of them now, so they sort of lose that ruthless mentality in front of goal. They're happy to get an assist, whereas I think Haaland is sort of old-fashioned centre forward mentality where he goes on the pitch, he's wearing number nine, so he wants to score the goals, and I think that's going to be a big plus for him in his career. Yeah, I mean, before I bring Burfin on, uh, his attitude, not Burf's attitude, he's flawless. 
flawless man. Oh, um, <laughs> what I learned from Ben about Harlem's actual attitude and personality, it just it did impress me. I mean, he's a down to earth guy who is more mature beyond his years. Uh, just hearing that he kind of does his own chores, such as a simple task as washing up, cleaning boots, etc. You know, it may sound like nothing to the average fan or maybe even the listeners right now thinking, well, so what? But not many of this new generation of players actually do any of that themselves. Ah, you know, he just wants to play football, live a normal life and enjoy that life. And yeah, there's been so many over the years you've had, obviously, I mentioned it in with Shearer, Beckham, and they all clean the boots of someone as they were getting on and getting into the game. I think it just sort of shows not just the maturity, but it's that I could not imagine him coming to the club and causing issues within the dressing room like an ego I can't I cannot see that he just seems to be quite yeah I mean I'll play football I enjoy it cool oh you know I don't see that ego mentality and very good point on the Ronaldo thing yeah I could see him having that mindset of goals 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 I know what I'm here to do that's what I'm going to do um what do you think on it with uh, uh, the mentality and the personality side of it Berth? yeah so I think if you look at all the sort of world-class strikers that have been in ground for the past 10 years or so I think they've always had an air of cockiness and confidence about them. You look at Ronaldo as a perfect example, like we said. He's the biggest fan of Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, some people, <laughs> some people yeah, don't true. like him. Some people don't like him, but his mentality is elite. He knows how good he really is. And I think Haaland's starting to get to that stage where he's starting to realise that I'm really good. I'm really, really good. I deserve to be playing with the best. I'm going to score goal after goal after goal. I'm going to be the best player in the world. You can already tell that, and he's only very young. Now, when you compare him to someone like Mbappe, it just goes to show that sometimes moving to a club won't help your mentality. It could, could go either one or two ways. You could get an inflated ego, which you could argue that Mbappe's now got. You look at him in the Euros, he wanted to be the man, he wanted to take the free kicks, he wanted to take the final penalty. And it just backfired massively. And he looks like, you know, there's rumours that he's out to go at Giroud and falling out of other players. Haaland doesn't want to fall into that bracket. He's a tiny bit younger than Mbappe. He needs to make the right move. I think he needs to stay in the right crowd, have the right people around him. He still need that confidence, still need that cockiness and arrogance. But I think he needs to make the right decisions in his next step of his career. I'd love yeah. if he came to Chelsea, but... You know, as we've seen before, it might be the wrong decision. It, it, you know, don't go to PSG where you're playing with lots of Neymar. You're playing in a league where, you know, PSG's the, the best uh, team by far. And, you know, you're always going to get into, like, the top two or whatever. You know, you want to challenge yourself. You want to prove that you're the best. And I think Mbappe took himself for granted that, yeah, everyone thinks I'm the best. I'm one of the best. And actually, he's been proving that, you know, there are still doubts about Mbappe now. I think Haaland needs to prove in a more competitive league than the French one, that he deserves to be considered one of the best players in the world. It's an interesting point, actually, because we're not saying that Mbappe is a bad player, but when you feel no, where he not. was a couple of years ago at the World Cup versus now, you thought, I think it is that problem with PSG. I mean, that's that kind of, it's in its own sort of bubble, which is a word we seem to be using a lot in the last year. Um, mm. But it's that bubble thing. It, PSG will likely win the league over and over again. I say likely, because obviously they didn't this year. But it kind of gets almost a bit stale and then the players' levels sort of, maybe they just plateau, I don't know. But it's again, the Ronaldo thing as well. The interesting part about that, you've got to have the healthy balance of win at all costs, score goals, do my job. 
but you don't want to go too far where you don't become a team player. You know, everyone thinks back to when Ronaldo, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Nani or another particular player, got the goal that Ronaldo was bound to score, but it was tapped in by Nani or whoever, and Ronaldo just lost his temper and got a bit annoyed. And you're thinking, I get it, but how would your teammates see that? They might go, oh, you're, he's being a dick, you know. And you don't want that in the draft. I don't think he's kind of got that about him. I feel like he's kind of a good, all-round good egg and good uh, yeah. personality. Uh, I put on, I put it on a while ago about the Erling Haaland transfer fee, and I put if Chelsea signed Erling Haaland for 150 million, would that be a good deal or overpriced? Over 200 votes on that, which is pretty impressive. 77.9% uh, said good deal. What 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 do you both think on that, um, Chris? Oh, do you know what? I'm so torn on this. It's that's a uh, fair point. I think that's very fair. And it's because of the fact that. It's you can only say it's a good deal if he comes in and continues to do what he has been doing. But as we know all too well, that is not guaranteed with Chelsea strikers. Mm -hmm. I, I would be shocked if Haaland come in and flopped because he his ceiling's almost too high and his numbers are too good to suggest that he would drop off. But but you just don't know, and then all of a sudden one bad season and we're looking at another Kepa situation where everyone's saying don't pay 150 million for a nobody. So I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I think in today's market for a player with his numbers, if you take his age and everything out of it, if you just look at a, for a player of his numbers, I think it's, it, it's reasonable. I, you know, I think, People are being quoted 80 million for average players nowadays, so you can't get a good player for less than 50 million. So I, I, I do think it would be a good deal because I do think he'd come in and be a success. But there is always that question mark over this could be one of the like the biggest failed football transfers ever. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. I mean, at the time before the interview I did, I mean, it felt a huge risk. Talking to Ben, obviously, and hearing about Erling, I feel it'd be a good investment. And even if you get, like, say, four or five years, and when you look at it in that term, you know, you break it down, what's that 150 million figure divided by how many years you get of him? And then do you make a profit when you sell him and all that sort of argument? I think it has to be, if he fits the system and he fits Tuckle's ideas and that, go for it. We've seen a club sign in before with Shevchenko. Yeah, world-class. Yeah, great player didn't work because he didn't fit the system. If Haaland definitely fits our system and it's what Tuckle wants, we have to back it and go from there. That that's that's kind of my point on it. But Chris is spot on. This could be the biggest fail of all time if it uh, did if it went south. Uh but final what's your final conclusion on that? Yeah no I, I totally agree with Chris. It's it's one of them where you sort of you don't know until until it's happened sort of thing. It's not like He's been around for ages, so it's not like you know exactly what you're going to get with him. Um, I think, obviously, if you're going on his past seasons, he's worth the £150 million. The potential is definitely worth that money. But again, different team, different style, different league. You never know. We've had a track record of buying big money strikers and then just not hitting the ground running. So it's a real difficult one. You'd have to say, looking at him and looking at his attributes, you'd have to say that it, it is worth worth the risk. And, you know, 150 million nowadays is slowly becoming the norm. So, you know, it's one of them. 
it, it seems like a good risk now, but you never know, Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, that, that's spot on. Um, we're coming to the end of another episode, but we always have time, as I said last week, to answer some listener questions. And you may be thinking, you didn't send the tweet out today. No, because I've got some in reserve. And this one I've, has been sat here for a fair few weeks, and it's only fair I ask it. But we're going to take a look in that mailbag to check out what has been sent in to us this week. You've got mail. So that question, well, I'm, I'm pulling it up. It's it's from Matt uh, at Your Manchu, and he's on Twitter. Uh, he asked one earlier on a couple of episodes ago. Well, he asked a two another one, which I said I would answer for him. He says, "Where does Aspilicueta rank amongst Chelsea legends? Is he included in the tier with Lampard, Terry, or is he in the tier below, say, with Ashley Cole and Gianfranco Zola?" I think he has to be considered. He's won pretty much everything, and you'd have to argue, in my opinion, I think he's one of the best full-backs or defenders that the Premier League's ever seen. I, th- I think he's really been an incredible servant for Chelsea, and for getting him, for what, £8 million, was it? Yeah. Um, and bear in mind, we, we didn't buy him to be Ashley Cole's replacement, but he, he, he replaced Ashley Cole in the team, which is no easy feat, because Ashley Cole was the best left-back the Premier League's ever seen. So, for me, I think he, he's won it all. You have to consider him, maybe not to the level of Lampard and Terry, but you know you've got to put him on the same level as Ashley Cole and and those sorts of players because he's he's been a fantastic captain for us. He's he's never really put a foot wrong. He's led by example. I mean, he's just and he loves Chelsea. He's been an incredible professional for us. So I think he's got to be right up there. He's got obviously two Premier League titles to his name, three FA Cups, uh, a League Cup, Champions League, um, two Europa Leagues, and yeah, I mean that's it's he's. Player of the year really. as well. It, yeah, he was in. Really. Well, he was in the Champions League squad of the season, the Europa League squad of the season when we both won those competitions, and he was the Chelsea's player player of the year in 13-14. So he's clearly loved by the players. Um, Chris, what what do you think? I think I, I think Aspilicueta is outside of Chelsea fans. I think he's probably one of the most underrated players the Premier League's ever seen. No one ever really talks about him, but That's he has true. been solidly consistent from day one to now. He's captain. He leads by example. Seems like a great guy off the pitch as well. Won everything. I agree with Berth. I think he has to be in that category with, with Ashley Cole, Gianfranco Zola. It's, it's really hard to put people in with Terry and Lampard because they're so iconic. And I don't think there's any shame in being in the tier below. I think they're almost they're almost the Messi and Ronaldo with Chelsea, Lampard and Terry, and then yeah, everyone sure. else falls below them. Um, so, but he's definitely in there, and he has he is a complete and utter Chelsea legend without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, interestingly here, he'll be heading into his tenth season with the club. Not many players hit ten seasons with one club. I mean, that's that's outstanding straight away. Shows how good he's been and consistent. Uh, he's not our longest serving player. People are still going to go, yes, he is. No, he's not. Someone who signed two months prior to him was Lewis Baker, who is still with Chelsea. Um, but I think as for Quetta, he is, he, is, he is a definitely a legend, a cult hero easily. I think someone who's done the same amount of seasons at Chelsea, nine, who should be talked about more is, is Paolo Pereira. Same sort of position on that right side. And he doesn't get talked about as a legend, but 
you think about, we've said about Azpilicueta, he's won everything. Obviously, Ferreira did the same. Great personality, the same. And that he barely gets talked about outside of the Chelsea bubble. I do, I do think the part of Ferreira, I think Azpilicueta has probably played more games than him. I think Azpilicueta has oh, been yeah. more influential. And just, I think, all round. I'm not no, taking anything away from Ferreira. You know, brilliant player and brilliant servant for Chelsea. But I think Azpilicueta has just given more to Chelsea. Um, and it's been a part of more important yeah. moments for Chelsea. And um, you look at sort of the core of our best teams over the past couple of years, as for the quarter has been in them. As you look at our Champions League winning team, I think Ferreira was there, but he didn't play. Um, 09 10, I think he played a bit then um, when he won under Ancelotti. Um, but I think as for the quarter, won the Champions League, one of our best centre backs. Um, 14 15 under Mourinho, when Mourinho came in. Unbelievable player, left back and right back. So I think as prepared, just been a part of more important moments in Chelsea than Ferreira. So that's why I'd probably put him above, above Ferreira. Yeah. I'd probably put as prepared above Ivanovic as well, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's 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 a, I think that's that's quite interesting. Not in a bad way. I just think he's more versatile. I think he's been more consistent. I think he's. I think he's probably a better captain than Ivanovic as well. I, I do oh. just think he is. Uh, Ivanovic has got more goals and obviously a bit stronger than Azpilicueta, but I think, I, I just, I don't know, it's something about Azpilicueta that I think everyone loves. I'm not saying that about Ivanovic, but I think outside of Charles, everyone loves Azpilicueta as well. Um, you know what? He, uh, a... Sorry, but I think you've just brought up about his versatility and I think, as for Laqueta, is almost now like the benchmark which utility players should be measured against. Because at, at some point, at, he has been our best left back, our best right back, our best right wing back, and our best centre back. So it, to be that good in that many positions shows how good a player he is. Yeah. I, yeah. And that, you know, you get some players who are an incredible right back and they can't play left back, even though it's exactly the same position, just on the other side of the pitch. You know, like like Ashley Cole, for example. I don't think you ever could have put Ashley Cole at right back. Yeah, agreed. agreed. And, and Ashley Cole was the best, le- like you said, the best left back in the Premier League era, but mm. you couldn't have put him at right back. I don't think he could have done it. No, no, God. As for to be this, to be that good at that many positions, he, he really should be getting more credit than he does. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I as for the question, oh, before I bring up his appearances, for Chelsea, Ferreira got um, 217, which is decent. It's decent. As for Quetta has done already 429. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, for the for the record, he does have two red cards. Ferreira didn't get one. So, just saying. But red cards. <laughs> <laughs> Neither could I. Uh, he got sent off this season, didn't he? Well, the season just ended. He definitely got sent off this season. I can't even think. No, I, I can't think. think. I, I, I could just Google this, but he definitely got sent off this season. I'm so sure of it. Apparently, his red cards have all been in the Premier League, which oh. is helpful. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. I'll quickly Google it, actually. Um, I don't ever remember him getting sent off. We had a red card overturned, but it still counts, obviously. Uh, against Villa. Oh, God, yeah, of course he did. He got uh, sent off the last yeah, day of the yeah. season, didn't he? Yeah, of course. Yeah. He, he How did we forget he, that? He hit Grealish in inverted He did. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. was horrible. Yeah. Assault. Yeah, I remember now. Of Assault. Course. 
And apparently in 2014, he got sent off against Crystal Palace. Oh, I don't remember that. I can't remember that one. Never mind. Oh, did he? I don't know. Maybe he didn't. It says he was red card suspended for Man United and QPR games. So that was me. Yeah, he got yeah he got sent off against Palace. Don't know why. Uh, yeah, but I was just having a quick peek. Twitter reacts as Asplukat gets sent off. He'd been sent off after a challenge on Milyeniak. Maybe it was the last. Uh, the viciousness of the challenge. There you go. I was going to say, I, I just don't remember that at all. No, I don't remember that, which oh, says, says about him. But yeah, of course, the Jack Grealish assault. We all remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, with that, we, we've come to the end of another episode of At The Bridge Pod. So it's time for our social media plugs. Um, where can we find you both? I'm going to let Chris take the lead because he needs to plug his uh, Bundit's pitch because I've been retweeting why. But go ahead, Chris. Well, thank you, Mikey. I appreciate that. Yeah, I am going for a job on Monday for a social media assistant so more followers it just makes me look better so if you could all go and follow at pitch pundits that would be great and yeah yeah uh, on twitter i am at chris burford i've not got anything else to plug just my twitter <laughs> which is probably not as good as pitch pundits but there we go you still follow me i, I enjoy it first thank you i'm glad someone does uh, I, I think following <laughs> i think following birth on instagram in the next month if england win a certain game might be interesting because i saw that i saw the tweet uh, and was like okay well I'll, I'll put it out there to the podcast so my friend said if he if england won the euros he'd die there like phil foden now i didn't want to do that because i haven't got the hair like phil foden um so i thought because I'm a very heavily tattooed person, I thought, why not get a tattoo of Mason Mount if we win the Euros? There we go. And now we are one game away from winning the Euros, and I may have to take a loan out from the bank. <laughs> <laughs> With that, um, you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that red haired dude. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on all those usual social media channels the Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. Drops a like and a follow. You can keep up to date on all things Chelsea. Of course, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave it a five-star review always helps out, builds that community. So till next time, listeners, that is us signing off.